wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. back folks right here on wrestle rant radio for june 29th 2017 i'm graham gs matthews hope you guys are doing well we got a stacked show on tap for you guys here today and i feel like i say that every single week but this week is no exception uh before we move forward though with today's show big thanks to at reborn again john ritland from the twitter machine uh for joining me on last week's show to talk all things wwe impact wrestling ring of honor lucha really anything wrestling related a lot of miscellaneous evergreen topics. Uh, we recorded that two weeks ago. I put it up last week while I was on vacation, so I couldn't record a show while I was away, so we recorded the show in advance, and it worked out perfectly. Went up on Thursday, and again, we talked about a just a plethora of great topics. Always awesome talking to John, so give him a follow. Check out his show on YouTube as well. Today, we're going to have at the Wrestle Guy Sal uh, from Twitter. He's been on the show before. He was on the show about a year ago, right after the announcement of the brand extension happened. I think maybe right before, because I know we talked about Money in the Bank or whatever pay-per-view that it was, Extreme Rules. He was on about a year ago, and he was going to be on here today. We couldn't schedule a, a time. I've been very, very busy this week with work and whatnot, but he will be on next week, hopefully. Uh, all things, you know, you know, assuming all things work out time-wise and schedule-wise and whatnot, he will be on the show next week to help me preview the Great Balls of Fire. I, I can't help but not, I, I can't help but say it like that. You have to say it like that at this point. Uh, that pay-per-view coming up on July 9th, which is going to be, it, it could be a good show. I mean, we don't normally get great Raw exclusive events more often than not, um, but it could be a decent show based on what is being advertised at this point in time. Um, but in regards to today, like I said, a very big newsworthy week in the world of WWE. All the main events of Raw, SmackDown, and NXT this past week featured women, which is incredible uh, for the first time ever, excluding 205 Live, which hardly matters anyway. We had a Raw women's main event on Monday night, a women's main event on SmackDown, and NXT on Wednesday. Or did I say Wednesday? I meant Tuesday night initially, and then Wednesday night for NXT. Tuesday for SmackDown, Raw Monday, NXT Wednesday. Which, again, is unprecedented. I don't believe that has ever happened before. Maybe two of the three. Because NXT's been doing this for a while. We've been getting women main events for at least the past two years now. Uh, SmackDown only started doing it earlier this year. I think the first women's main event on SmackDown might have been Becky Lynch and Alexa Bliss in the Steel Cage match. And we might have gotten one other women's main event beyond that. Yeah, we did. Naomi and Charlotte, uh, I think back in April, for the women's championship on SmackDown. And then Raw does it... Quite a bit. I mean, they not a lot, but they did it with Sasha and Charlotte a few times. They did it with Bailey and Charlotte earlier this year. And then we had a Raw women's gauntlet match on Monday night, which was great. So I'll talk all about Raw, SmackDown, NXT moving on. Basically, anything we could fit in this week. Again, uh, Sal won't be joining me, so I'll have more time to talk about other random stuff, including Impact Wrestling Slammiversary pay-per-view this coming Sunday, which... Uh, Honestly, there wasn't, we talked about it with John last week, we recorded that two weeks ago, that was before the card was kind of set in stone, but looking at the card in front of me before I started recording, I looked on Wikipedia for the current um, card on tap for Sunday's pay-per-view, and it looks like it could be okay. I mean, a lot of these matches have potential to be very, very good. Just the thing is right now, the Impact Wrestling, TNA, what have you, there is just no buzz there, and there hasn't been for a long time, despite the whole merger with GFW and the new you know, form of new wave of management coming in a few months ago and all this other stuff. The more things change, the more they stay the same with Impact Wrestling. And I feel like that's uh, a common mantra with this company. But the show on paper could be very, very good. I'll talk about that in just a few moments. Um, but before we get started here, I do want to talk about a few things, some news and notes from the world of wrestling over the past week, including Ring of Honor's Best in the World pay-per-view from last Friday. 
It was a great show. I couldn't watch it live again. We were flying home from Florida on Friday night. I tried to find it online on Saturday. The price on Fight TV, a great app, by the way, to watch Ring of Honor free every single week on Mondays. It's up on demand all the time, um, but it goes up at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern on Monday nights. The Fight TV app is great. To pay 35 bucks for the pay-per-view, I don't know if I would really recommend that. I mean, back in the day, sure, but at this point, after... God, I haven't paid for a WWE pay-per-view in years. And I'm not like, oh, I'm, you know, streaming it online or anything, but you know, we have the network now. And now you pay 10 bucks a month for the pay-per-views and all this other amazing content. In retrospect, paying 50 bucks, 55, 60 dollars for a WWE pay-per-view in 2017 seems ridiculous to me. Uh, let alone for a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, which again was really, really good, but I don't know if it's worth buying, you know, worth paying $35 for. Um, I don't want to do a full-on review. I'll do, you know, I, I, want to, I want to have saved some time for the Slammiversary predictions and Raw review and SmackDown review and whatnot. But uh, in a nutshell, the pay-per-view was very good. The undercard was solid. The top three main events I thought were great. Um, Kushida and Marty Skrull for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. Two thumbs up. The tag title match between War Machine, Young Bucks, and best friends uh, Chucky Taylor, Chuck Taylor, and Trent Beretta. Another amazing match for the tag team titles. Then the main event was great too, Cody Rhodes, or Cody rather, versus uh, Christopher Daniels for the Ring of Honor World Championship, and uh, Cody emerged victorious as the new Ring of Honor World Champion, which is great. We also had new six-man World Tag Team Titles uh, Champions crowned as well, in the form of Dalton Castle and the boys, which is awesome, but uh, yeah, now Cody enters this weekend for his match against Okada, I forgot where it was, maybe Florida, um, New Japan's new Tour of America coming up this weekend. I don't know if it's the G1 or what they're calling it. I forgot the name of the uh, what the name of the event is. It's going to be Cody versus Okada for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And if Cody wins, he will become the first person ever to hold both belts simultaneously, which is amazing. I don't think he will win. Um, that's my prediction. I don't think Cody wins, but it's a very interesting situation. I mean, to me, I talked about it on hashtag the other day on Wednesday, but I think it'd be. I don't want to say a slap in the face, but I feel like Kenny Omega, I mean, for as good as Cody is, Kenny Omega is far superior to Cody in pretty much every sense. On this, on the mic, in the ring, character-wise, it's not even close. So to think that Kenny Omega twice could not beat Okada for the uh, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, but Cody could, even with shenanigans, which uh, New Japan is not known for anyway, seems a bit silly to me. So I don't think we'll see that, but again, could it play into a Bullet Club you know, uh, you know, a, a split of Cody and Kenny Omega in the club, uh, in the Bullet Club. The club is from WWE, Gallows and Anderson. But Cody only really just joined a few months ago at the onset of 2017. I mean, the club, it's, it's interesting. The Bullet Club has been around now for over four years, yet they continue to find ways to remain relevant in switching out leaders and switching out members. I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about New World Order, but... They were far past their expiration date in WCW um, in the late 90s. They formed initially in 96. You could say they were damaged goods by late 96. I know they did the whole NWO pay-per-view events in 98 and all that other shit, which went nowhere. You had Virgil in there. You had all these other friggin' losers in the group that no one cared about. Um, Bullet Club is different, though. A lot of these guys joining the group has been the best thing for them. Marty Scroll, even before joining the group, is one of the hottest things going in wrestling now that he's part of the Bullet Club. It's amazing. We talked about him uh, briefly last week, John and I, in regards to uh, how Marty Skrull is one of the best things going today. Even challenged CM Punk to come out of wrestling retirement to face him over in a Ring of Honor or New Japan, wherever. That'd be pretty amazing. Uh, just put that on the record. But yeah, Marty Skrull's in there. The Young Bucks are still popular as ever. Cody's at the peak of his you know popularity right now. And to think a little over a year ago, he was still in WWE as Stardust. Picking at the bottom of the bar- at the bottom of the barrel in matches against our truth and Zack Ryder and Fandango like Sin Cara. Who cares? Who cares? You know. So a year later, he leaves WWE and uh, he's now the new Ring of Honor World Champion. So I could not be happier to see him crowned as the new champion. Will we see him win more gold on Saturday, Sunday, whenever the? I think it's the first, which would be Saturday. I don't know a time. I don't know if it happens in the morning because it's. No, it is happening at a regular time. I'm thinking of the most recent Okada Omega match, which went like aired live at 3 a.m. here on the East Coast. But they're airing it; they're emanating out of Florida for this match, so it should be happening regular time, I would assume. 
on Saturday night, I, I guess. I'm not really sure. I guess we'll find out. Um, but does he win more gold this weekend? I don't think he does, but I'm interested to find out whether he will or not. So uh, best of the world, very good show overall. If you can find it online, definitely do so. Great show. Um, as I talked about the women main eventing every WWE show, with the exception, of course, of 205 Live, but who really cares anyway? I'll talk more about that with the Raw Smacked and NXT reviews, respectively, coming up in a short bit. Alberto El Patron, um, formerly known as Alberto Del Rio. That was a terrible, terrible R, rolling R there. Alberto Del Rio and Paige from WWE have reportedly broken up. Um, I guess. I mean, I don't want to turn the show into the Inquisitor, into the Inquisitor or the Inquirer, I guess. The Inquisitor is the website. The Inquirer is the fucking magazine, whatever. But um, there are reports that they broke up. Then there was a picture of them from, like, today or yesterday, and they seemed fine. And then Dave Meltzer said that a, a friend close to El Patron said they are have officially broken up. Who the hell knows? Who the hell could possibly care? Like, I've talked about this a million times. If it doesn't affect the wrestling world and really any former fashion, then who cares? I mean, a lot of people saw this coming a while ago. They didn't think the relationship would be, you know, would last that long. They're apparently engaged and they were set to be married like months ago and they pushed back the wedding even further. It's just what they're doing, what what, Paige, what is going on with Paige right now, what's going on with her and her supposed marriage to Del Rio, El Patron, whatever, is much more creative, and I noted this on Twitter a few days ago, much more creative than WWE's had for her in years, which is hilarious to me, but if they could somehow incorporate this into the characters of both uh, both parties here, Paige and Del Rio, who's now under contract Impact Wrestling, but assuming he was to come back, which I have zero desire to see, I had no desire to see him back the first time um, a couple of years ago, but uh, if they were to bring him back and incorporate this into a storyline with Del Rio and Paige, that would be great TV. We need to see more of that on WWE television. But uh, anyway, whether they're broken up or not broken up, who the hell could possibly care? I guess we'll find out officially in the in the next couple in the, in the coming days. But again, it's their own personal lives. Whatever. Let's move on. Speaking of Paige, though, she has since been replaced on Total Divas, which yes, I admittedly still watch. The show has been okay. The show's been okay. The sixth season I thought was really, really good. Um, Paige was hardly in it because I know she was suspended, and even then they weren't even doing anything with her before she got suspended. She was out hurt for a while, so she was barely in the sixth season. Um, but she has officially, as had been rumored, axed from the show for the seventh season, which has yet to get an official air date. Um, but she will be replaced by Carmella, which I think is a great fit. I know there were rumors of Charlotte or Sasha... Which, I know, like, they're very personable on Twitter and Instagram, but... Which is fine. I mean, Paige, speak of the devil, joined the show despite being the anti-Deve, all this other shit. It's like, it wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't kill the Paige character. What killed the Paige character was turning her a million times, giving her terrible monologues and awful creative and all this other shit. It was, it was not the fact that she was on Total Divas. that had very little to do with it. But, um... I think Carmella's a perfect fit. Sasha and Bailey and... And Charlotte, I mean, Alexa Bit, Alexa Bliss is a great heel, but she's going to be on the show. And and so is Carmella. She's turning into quite a, quite a great heel, too. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like they're better fits for the show. Nia Jax as well, which I talked about a few weeks ago, I think on last week's hashtag AskGSM. But um, yeah, and I think Carmella, Alexa, Nia Jax in the show makes perfect sense. And I'm looking forward to next season. Uh, we'll probably see a lot more of Carmella and Big Cass in the show, too. If you could recall, for Breaking Ground, which I talked about um, for a number of episodes for on my WWE Network and Chill show on YouTube, which I first debuted about a year ago at this point, I talked all about uh, Breaking Ground and how Carmella and Cass were all over that show. They are a legitimate couple, for those unaware. I'm sure you know that by now. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing more of Cass and uh, Carmella on Total Divas coming up in the seventh season. Uh, speaking of Ring of Honor from earlier, War Machine, the former IWGP Tag Team Champions, have officially been declared as free agents, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer. So that's interesting. Um, I saw that on a wrestling news website, nothing about it on Twitter. Usually when someone becomes a free agent, it's like, that guy should go to NXT, but I haven't really seen many people talk about it. Maybe it's just because it's new news, it's fresh news, so no one really knows yet. Um, I just saw it on a website this afternoon. But, you know, they, they might be decent in NXT. I know we have... I mean, then again, they would be great in NXT. But I feel like we fill their quota with big tag teams in NXT. I'm not talking about in terms of star power. I'm talking about size. 
I mean, I guess you can never really have too much of one thing in WWE. I mean, I guess in some cases you can, but in terms of, like, filling your quota, which used to be a whole thing back in the day, like, we have too many indie guys. We're not going to hire any more indie guys, which went completely out the window. Half the guys, well over half the guys, they have an NXT and the WWE main roster are from the independent scenes. That's completely out the window, obviously. But, um, so, and bringing in War Machine, we already have Authors of Pain. We have... Heavy Machinery, um, a tag title match, by the way, that's happening on the July 12th edition of NXT in two weeks, which I'm looking forward to. So, I guess you could do it. I would much rather have them bring in, and spoiler alert here, but uh, bring in Kyle O'Reilly. Bobby Fish just debuted on the NXT TV tapings uh, last Friday. And, I mean, it was kind of a surprise, but not really. It had been rumored for a while um, that the likes of Leo Rush and Donovan Dijak and Adam Cole were all WWE-bound but uh, they could not be touched by WWE until they cleared up their whole thing with the Ring of Honor and contract tampering, whatever the hell the case was. So I guess that's been cleared up because Bobby Fish is now in NXT. He debuted at the most recent set of tapings, like I said, on Friday for a match against Aleister Black. What he'll be doing beyond that, I have no idea. The only thing I heard was that he was in that match with Black, obviously probably losing. Um, But beyond that, I'm not really sure what would be great. Again, like I said, they're doing the Heavy Machinery and Authors of Pain match on NXT in two weeks. Now, that could very well end in a non-finish um, and then lead to a rematch in Brooklyn. I'm sure the titles aren't changing hands on TV. I mean, the Authors of Pain have been undefeated for the past year. I feel like having them lose now would be ridiculous. So they'll probably hold it. They definitely will hold the belts until Brooklyn. And again, I don't know if they do, they extend Heavy Machinery Feud beyond that episode of NXT in a couple of weeks and then do it at TakeOver Brooklyn 2 or 3, I guess, Brooklyn 3, you know what I mean. Brooklyn as well. And they could always do Authors of Pain against Red Dragon. And I've said this before, as as many other people have as well. Um, I think they got to be brought in as a package deal. I mean, obviously, like I said, Bobby Fish is in on his own now in Ring of Honor. I'm actually kind of surprised, if only because Kyle O'Reilly left Ring of Honor months ago and has not appeared for the promotion since, I think, Final Battle. Like, a little bit after Final Battle. I know he lost the belt to Adam Cole, back to Adam Cole, at their Japan show, at Wrestle Kingdom. And that was on, like, one of the first few days, I think January 4th or whatever, um, of 2017. That was months ago. Bobby Fish was has reportedly not been under contract to Ring of Honor for a while and had been wrestling on, like, a per-date appearance. But it was so funny because the news came out that he had uh, debuted on the NXT TV taping last Friday. And they best in the world, Ring of Honor had their best in the world show that very same night. And then the very next night, Bobby Fish was back in Ring of Honor wrestling a match against Silas Young. I mean, obviously that was taped weeks ago, if not a month ago, um, for their TV tapings. I thought I just thought the timing was hilarious. So Bobby Fish has been involved with Ring of Honor for a while now, and I mentioned this I think on hashtag a few weeks ago that um, that he had been a part of like this whole feud with Silas Young and, and Beer City Bruiser against Jay Lethal or with Jay Lethal. So, just because he was still involved with a promotion does not mean that he wasn't, that he was under a contract. You know what I mean? He obviously wasn't, which is why he showed up in NXT, which I think is very cool. So, we'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, I think Red Dragon and, and Authors of Pain signed me up. I mean, now that I know DIY is gone, why not bring in Red Dragon? Kyle O'Reilly, for me, does very little for me as a singles guy. It was cool when he won the Ring of Honor World title, but uh, beyond that, I just... I just don't see him as a breakout single star, especially in WWE, without much of a personality. Bobby Fish is a bit different. I could see him doing better on his own, but I still think the two are better off as a tag team than as singles guys at this point in time. So, here is hoping we see uh, Red Dragon at TakeOver Brooklyn in a couple of months. Also, Tyson Kidd confirmed to be now working as a producer for WWE behind the scenes after retiring from the ring two years ago. And I get the question all the time from people I know and on Twitter and for hashtag and shit um, if Tyson Kidd will ever be back in the ring. Obviously, no. He got hurt two years ago. It's been over two years ago this month that he got hurt in that dark match with, in that dark match with Samoa Joe prior to Raw. He won't be back. Um, he's lucky he's alive. It was a very small chance he would even survive the injury, which is miraculous, but he survived, thankfully. So, that being said, he's likely 99.99% uh, never going to wrestle again, which sucks, but at least he's still involved with the company. It baffled me. It boggled my mind that uh, he was not on the most recent season of Total Divas, 
whether that was at his recommendation, it didn't sound like it because someone asked him on Twitter and he said they were, he was taken off. So it didn't really sound like he wanted to be off the show. I'm not really sure what the deal was there. But he is back with WWE, apparently full-time. He was at the tapings this past week working as a producer, which is pretty cool. And finally, now before I move into my quick Slammiversary predictions, I want to mention this real quick on the Stone Cold podcast and the Talk is Jericho podcast on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. Check these out when you can. The interviews with Bailey and Baron Corbin both were very, very good. And both kind of go, I mean, huh? Jericho kind of does too, but Stone Cold is very blunt with his questions. And if we're not going to get the Stone Cold podcast on podcast or on the WWE Network, his podcast on Podcast One is awesome, regardless of whether, you know, who he has on. But when he has on superstars, he had on Johnny Mundo, the former John Morrison a few months ago, which was very cool. He had on Brian Kendrick for a great conversation back in late May. And then this week he had on Bailey. And Bailey, they were talking about being called up, whether she was talking about like not getting the same reactions that she did in NXT and how at one point Bliss was more over than her, which is still true to this day. So she kind of goes a bit in depth with that kind of stuff. I don't know if Stone Cold, that's what he was looking for, if he's completely aware of how they've absolutely mishandled her character on the main roster. I didn't expect Stone Cold to kind of touch upon that, but Bailey does go into does go into some interesting topics. So check that out when you can. The, the interview is like an hour, hour and ten minutes long. It's not very long at all. So check it out when you can. It's a great episode. In addition to the Baron Corbin interview that I mentioned before on Talk Is Jericho from Wednesday, again another interview that kind of go in depth with how Baron Corbin came to WWE, transitioning from NXT to the main roster. His favorite matches so far, winning the Money in the Bank briefcase. They they did the interview literally days after the pay-per-view, which I think is awesome. Jericho is great in that respect and getting the best guests for his show. He's never had Baron Corbin on before, and the first time he has him on is literally a week removed from his Money in the Bank victory, which is pretty damn cool, so check those out when you get the chance. Um, I went a lot longer than I thought I would with the uh, news and notes and whatnot. We're about 20 minutes in now. I don't want to go beyond an hour. So I'm going to make this pretty quick here. But Impact Wrestling Slammiversary pay-per-view on Sunday. Slammiversary 15. Their 15th Slammiversary pay-per-view. So big uh, congrats. Two thumbs up to Impact Wrestling for such a huge milestone. Now, before we get into the matches, I just remembered. I forgot to write this down. But they are announcing their next Hall of Famer on Sunday. James Storm is involved in a pretty big match at the pay-per-view against Ethan Carter III, which I'll talk about momentarily. A strap match. So... I assume it's going to be him. I don't know who else it would be. Like, you know, say what you will about TNA Impact Wrestling, whatever, but they do a pretty good job with their Hall of Fame. Whether it has any worth is a whole other discussion, but who they choose every year is actually pretty good. Um, I mean, they didn't go with AJ Styles at any point when they should have when they had the opportunity. Reportedly, they had the chance to do so in 2015, but AJ turned it down and they didn't do it. So good for AJ for turning down that awful offer. But uh, anyway, they've had so far Sting go in, Kurt Angle, um, Sting, Kurt Angle, 2013, they had, that was Kurt Angle's year, 2014, I think it was Earl Hebner, uh, 2015, no, 2014 was the Dudley Boys, Team 3D, whatever, 2015 was Earl Hebner and Jeff Jarrett, and then last year was Gail Kim, so they've had a referee go in, a couple big names, a tag team, a woman, so they've really kind of gone everywhere. Like, it's like an entire WWE Hall of Fame class, except spread over the course of five years. This year, I would, again, have to say James Storm. I don't really know who else he would go with that's available right now. Like, Sanjay Dutt, like, the guy's been in and out for so long, it wouldn't really mean anything. Um, I mean, even the people on the on the active roster haven't been there for that long, so. I mean, other than maybe Abyss or Joseph Park, which, I mean, would be fine, but I think James Storm being in a much bigger match on this pay-per-view... Now's the best time to do it. I hope he is, and I think he will be the one to get the uh, get the nod on Sunday as the latest Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer. Now on to my predictions for the pay-per-view. Again, I had no idea what the matches for the show were until I literally looked up the card moments ago to find out what the matches were on tap for the pay-per-view. But it looks like it could be a decent show, starting with a tag team match Moose and D'Angelo Williams versus Eli Drake and Chris Adonis, the former Chris Masters. D'Angelo Williams, D'Angelo Williams rather, um, the former, I think it is a current football player. Um, he had a lot of mainstream, not a lot, but some mainstream attention for joining Impact Wrestling and teaming with Moose at the show, which is cool, good for them. I expect the baby faces to go over. I mean, I love Eli Drake. I think he's very much underutilized in Impact Wrestling, but 
They're going to get a lot of buzz for the uh, football player being in there, so I assume they win. For the tag team titles, both the Impact Wrestling and GFW World Tag Team Championships, so they got all the GFW titles in um, in TNA now. They're all on the line. The, the women's title, the world title. The only GFW title that's not being defended or is even a part of Impact anymore is the Next Gen Championship, like their X Division, their IC US Championship, which I think is still currently held by Cody Rhodes, and he's no longer with the company. He finished up his dates months ago, so why they still have him as the champion, I have no idea. But anyway, for the tag titles, both sets of tag titles, you have LAX, the defending champions, uh, Drago and El Hijo del Fantasma from uh, Lucha Underground, which was interesting, which I apparently read they have no working relationship. There is no working relationship between Impact Wrestling and Lucha, so take that for what it's worth, or AAA, whatever. So it's those two teams. Uh, bear with me here for my awful my awful pronunciation of these two names, but uh, Naomichi Faruji, uh, Fuji and uh, Taji and Ashimoro. Taji Ashimoro. Again, I fucked that up big time, but that team and Laredo Kid and Garza Jr. That's that's a lot easier. And a fatal four-way match for the Impact Wrestling and GFW Tag Titles. I'm going to go with LAX. LAX is the best thing going today. I guess they could do a title change to uh, get people talking. How much? Whatever. I don't know. But Drago's great. I mean, I love Drago and Lucha, so it's going to be cool to see him on an Impact Wrestling show. Uh, But I think LAX retain for the Knockouts and GFW Women's Championships in a unification match. It is Rosemary, the Knockouts Champion, versus Sienna, the uh, GFW Women's Champion. Should be a good match. Definitely two of, if not the two best women's athletes in the company right now. Gil Kim is still apparently there. I don't know if she's under contract or not. I, apparently she's not, but she's still with the company. I'm not exactly sure what the deal is there, but I guess she's not retired despite the fact they said that she was on TV. And I think she said she would be back eventually. But Rosemary's a baby face. Like, the whole thing was that Rosemary took out Gail Kim and, and, and Jade. And Jade's gone. And now Rosemary's a baby face, so I have no idea. But uh, yeah, it's Rosemary and CN. I think Rosemary wins. Uh, Sunjay Dutt versus Loki in a two out of three falls match for the X Division Championship. A match I'm looking forward to, honestly. Um, they had a decent match on Impact a few weeks ago in India. It was supposed to be like this big moment with Sun- when Sunjay uh, when Sunjay Dutt, excuse me, won the belt in his native India after so much time has passed. Believe it or not. For as much time he has spent in Impact Wrestling on and off over the past 15 years, he had never held the X Division Championship. But he finally won it, and he's the current champion. I think it'd be a mistake if they took the title off him now. Um, I would keep it on him for the foreseeable future, have him retain here. I I could see Loki winning it back. Their first match was not great. It really was not as good as I thought it would be, to be be quite honest with you. But uh, Hopefully, with the two out of three fall stipulation, they'll get some time, and it could be a great match. So, but I do think Sanjay Dutt retains the title. I have no idea why this match is happening, but it's uh, Jeremy Borash and Joseph Park against Josh Matthews and Scott Steiner. Less said about this, the better, but I assume the babyfaces win. I assume Borash and uh, Park win. Eddie Edwards and Alicia Edwards. Uh, what was your name on the indie scene? It wasn't Alicia. I forgot what her name was, but I've been following her for years. She's been a part of uh, NECW and Eddie W. A lot of Northeast indie shows I've seen her at. I've met her before. She's very nice, as well as Eddie Edwards. Versus uh, Davey Richards and Angelina Love in a full metal mayhem tag team match. This should be pretty good. Definitely one of, if not the best, definitely the best thing going. No doubt about it, actually, now that I think about it. Um... Best feud going in Impact right now between these four. Should be great. Again, I think uh, I think Davey won the first match, so I assume Eddie wins this match. I'm going with a lot of the baby faces on this show, but I just assume it's going to be a babyface-heavy show. Uh, James Storm and EC3. And it's not, because like I said earlier, I think James Storm gets the nod for the next Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win. Um, Angle, I think, won his match in 2013 when he was inducted. Gail Kim, I don't think, was on the card. And if she was, she lost. Yeah, she was supposed to face Maria. And then Maria got hurt or something. So she got put in the knockouts title match and she lost. So doesn't matter whether you're going to the Hall of Fame or not. And then Sting, when he got inducted or was announced to be the next inductee five years ago, he lost in the main event against Bobby Roode. So 
it doesn't necessarily guarantee you're winning on the show. Um, so I'm going to go EC3. I think he needs to win more. And it's a strap match, by the way, too. And I hope it's more along the lines of what we saw last Friday, Best in the World, between Kazarian and Adam Page. That was a great strap match. I'm not a big fan of the WWE version, or the normal version. I don't know what you would call it. Um, like when you're strapped together. That, to me, is dumb. It very much limits what the competitors can do. Very stupid. But uh, when you're beating the shit out of each other with straps, like we saw with Kazarian and Adam Page on Friday the pay-per-view, that's great. There's a lot of possibilities with what you could do there. They had like nails and tacks in the, in the in the straps when they were beating the crap out of each other. It was pretty great. It was a hell of a match. Uh, but I assume EC3 wins there. In the main event, Lashley and El Patron, Alberto El Patron, for the uh, in an impact in a winner take all Impact Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship and GFW Global Championship main event match. Uh, I assume El Patron wins. Lashley, I'm way more into at this point than El Patron as a character. El Patron, the former Del Rio, just does nothing for me at all. The guy can have good matches. He's had a handful of good matches since joining Impact a few months ago. But as a character, he just bores me to tears. Lashley is just an amazing heel. And I really hope, I really wish he goes back to WWE at some point. Because I think he could do really well over there with his current persona. But um, I think El Patron wins and he takes both belts. So that is my uh, list of predictions for Slammiversary on Sunday. Again... It could be a decent show. I was originally planning on watching it live, but it looks like he might be hanging out with John instead. So it's going to have to wait until another day, we'll say. But uh, yeah, it looks like it could be a solid show on paper. With the time we have left, let's see how much time we got. About 30 minutes, about halfway through. Let's get through Raw, SmackDown, and NXT quickly. Maybe some Lucha Underground thoughts if we have time. Um, but yeah, Raw on Monday. Overall, pretty decent show for June 26, 2017. We kicked off the evening with Roman Reigns. Uh, or I think it might have been Braun Strowman. No, I think it was Roman Reigns saying it was his yard. He wanted to challenge Braun Strowman to a match at the pay-per-view. Blah, blah, blah. Braun Strowman comes out, beats the crap out of Roman Reigns. Again, it might have been Braun out first. I don't really remember. But I think it was Roman because I just remember Roman cutting a promo, being a complete dick, and he was awesome here. And uh, Braun comes out, beats the complete crap out of him at the, at, around ringside and near the stage, throws him into the ambulance, the side of the ambulance, which was great. And it has been confirmed there will be Strowman and Reigns at the Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view in an ambulance match. The match that we were supposed to get at Extreme Rules a month ago. Which is why this pay-per-view will probably be more Extreme Rules than Extreme Rules was. Also considering that uh, Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar is also happening on this show. On the pay-per-view coming up. But speaking of Braun and Roman, before we move forward. It was reported last night. In the uh, on Wrestling Observer Radio, whatever, by Dave Meltzer. Pretty decent, credible source for the most part. He had said that, he had noted that there, it's still subject to change, but as of right now, the main event plans for WrestleMania have changed, which a lot of us, a lot of us thought would happen, you know, when it was first rumored back in literally February or March, I think it might have been March, when reports were indicating that it'd be Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania 34. Now, the plan was, and I assume still is, despite what this report indicates, I assume the re- I, I assume the plans will stay in place, will remain intact. Um, but the idea was that Brock would win the belt at WrestleMania, then he would take on all these challengers. How many remains to be seen? This is his first title defense coming up on Sunday, so for whatever that's worth, but uh, or next Sunday rather. And then he would lose to Roman Reigns on his way out at WrestleMania 34. Now they might push that ahead a little bit and do it at SummerSlam. I'm not sure whether that's a good or bad thing. Um, A pro would be that we get the Brock Lesnar champion experiment over with quickly. Um, I don't know if a lot of people could bear with him being champion for another eight more months. And I'm a big Brock Lesnar fan, but if he's not going to be on TV, if this is his first title defense in friggin' three months since WrestleMania 33, that's ridiculous. I thought he'd be working at least one show a month. At the very least. I could do without him being on house shows and all that other shit. Which I know why he has to be on them. But I could really do without him doing those kind of shows. Keep him for the big pay-per-views when it really matters. And uh, and have him defend the belt there. But apparently it's going to be Roman and Stro- or Roman and uh, Brock rather at SummerSlam. Uh, so we get Roman and John Cena at WrestleMania. Now, I literally just talked about this on Wednesday's Hashtag Ask GSM when uh, Sal, who will be on the show hopefully next week, uh, talked about it. He asked me about it. 
And I kind of brushed it off because I thought it was more fantasy booking than a real rumor, but I don't know if he read the report or if he was just kind of booking on the fly himself, but it looks like that might be the reality. We might be getting that WrestleMania main event many months early at SummerSlam between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Now, I assume Roman would win because if he doesn't win, then what do you do with Brock as champion? Like, he's not going to drop the belt to friggin' Hell in the Cell or anything like that or even, God forbid, Survivor Series. So, he's going to either have to drop the belt. Like, again, it would be amazing if Samoa Joe won the belt next Sunday, but it's not going to happen. It's either going to be to Roman Reigns. It's really only going to be to Roman Reigns. I'm trying to think of someone else. Braun Strowman and Lesnar should and must happen. They first teased at the night of the WrestleMania. They have to deliver it at some point. They have to do the match. Otherwise, that confrontation would be pointless. Wouldn't be the first time they've, you know, teased the match and then not followed through, but... It would be a good match. It's an interesting, big, marquee match, really. I know Samoa Joe and Lesnar, to me, is a bigger dream match in my mind, but Strowman and Lesnar are still pretty big, considering the momentum that Strowman has had since breaking out on his own for the past year or so. So I don't know where this leaves Strowman. If you do Reigns and Lesnar at SummerSlam, would you do Strowman and, and Joe? Like, I'm not really sure what you do. Like, I thought that, as many other people have figured... Strowman would come back, beat Roman at the uh, Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view. I know they're already advertising Roman Reigns going for the belt at SummerSlam, God forbid, whatever. But that could always change. They could have Strowman win at the pay-per-view at Great Balls of Fire. He faces Lesnar at SummerSlam. And then we get a Roman Reigns-Samoa Joe feud, which I think could be good. They had a great match on Raw a couple weeks ago. I think it works. By doing the match early, I'm not sure where Joe goes from there or even Strowman your top two heels on the show that are there every week, with the exception of Brock Lesnar. I don't know what you do with those two. Does that mean Strowman wins or he loses at Great Balls of Fire? I hope not. Um, I guess we'll have to see. I mean, I thought it'd be the other way around, to be honest with you, when it was first rumored that Cena was coming back as a free agent. I thought he would come over to Raw and say, hey, Roman Reigns, this is not your yard. It's still my yard. And then we would get Cena and Reigns at SummerSlam. I guess we could still see that, but... Um, word on the street as of a few weeks ago was that it's not Cena versus uh, Reigns at SummerSlam. It's going to be Cena likely versus Mahal for the WWE Championship, which I'm not sure which is worse. I mean, Cena and Reigns, I'm looking forward to. That's not really all that bad. Cena-Mahal is where I worry because I feel like the Mahal experiment will be over. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the biggest fan of him as champion. He's not lighting the world on fire as champion, but Cena taking his place as the WWE Champion is not the exact. Is not exactly a great substitute. So I hope that doesn't happen and Mahal doesn't fall short to John Cena in typical India versus USA style as uh, the, the same old tired trope that WWE has done for years, the evil foreigner being uh, being conquered by the patriotic American, in this case John Cena. We saw it with Rusev a million times, so I assume we'll see it again. I hope that's not the case. But anyway, so yeah, I thought it was worth mentioning. I still think we are getting Brock and Roman at WrestleMania 34, but Anything can change. It is wrestling. It is the WWE. They are known to change their plans at the last minute constantly. But uh, I thought it was interesting that they are already are advertising Roman going for the belt at SummerSlam. So I'm not really sure where that leaves like Strowman and Joe or what happens to them. But uh, I, I guess that makes the match between both matches a bit more unpredictable. I still think Lesnar retains the title against Joe. It'd be amazing if Joe won. He won't. Um, but I guess that makes Reigns and Strowman more unpredictable because I thought it was a foregone conclusion that Strowman would win and then go for the belt at SummerSlam, but now we don't really know. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I know there were some talk, there was some talk about Joe and whether he got hot enough in this feud that they might reconsider doing more than just one match between him and Lesnar. The feud's been great. I'll talk about them momentarily in my the remainder of my Raw review. But Above all else, regardless of whether we get Joe, or whether we get Lesnar and Strowman, or Lesnar and Reigns, or whatever at SummerSlam, regardless of what the result, the ending result is of the main event Universal Championship match that the pay-per-view is, I really hope, I really, really hope that Joe is not left out in the cold. The guy has been doing amazing work as a heel for the past couple months, really ever since he joined the main roster, including NXT. But ever since he got called up, he's been booked very, very well. But specifically in this feud with Brock for the past three or four weeks, he's been fucking killing it every week. It's been great TV. So I hope we see more of that going forward and um, that we have not seen the last of Samoa Joe in the main event beyond Great Balls of Fire. 
So anyway, moving on here, we had a six-man tag team match, a very entertaining six-man tag team match of that, between Finn Balor, the Hardy Boys, and then against their face, or they had faced Elias Sampson, Sheamus, and Cesaro. And again, like I said, a very fun six-man tag team match. The baby faces picking up the victory after Finn Balor pinned Cesaro with a coup de gras. And then Matt Hardy posted on Twitter after the show, or after the match had ended on uh, on his Twitter, that they were called the Broken Club. I can get behind that. If they don't, if, <clears throat> again, I don't know why they're so hesitant to put Balor with Gallows and Anderson, who are just dying to death right now. They're not, they weren't even on the show on Monday. But anyway, if they don't want to do that, then you know what? Balor and the Hardy Boys is not a bad trio. They were very much over. They came across like stars in this match. So if they wanted to do the Broken Club, hey, with Balor, Jeff, and Matt, sign me up. Hashtag book it. Goldust and R-Truth never happened after Goldust attract, attacked or attract. I guess maybe that too. I know I don't know if Goldust is still gay or not. That was never explained. I'm not really sure. But anyway, uh, Goldust attacked R-Truth before the bout. Match never came to fruition. Um, I love the new or old or whatever. I don't know. Goldust with uh, the old attire, but now he's got the cameraman like a new Marlena type. Um, people are like, oh, why don't they bring back Marlena? It's, they don't need fucking Marlena. Um, I've seen, who, what was it? Someone had said, um, maybe it was at Jeremy8911 on Twitter. I think he might have said or suggested the idea of, like, a Miz, Goldust, and Maurice trio. Which, to me, is way more appealing than whatever this Miz entourage thing is with Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel. Social Outcast 2.0 without Slater and Adam Rose, wherever the hell he is, on the Independency. <laughs> with a bunny still, I don't know. But, uh... Anyway, going back to what I was saying, Goldust, Miz, and Maurice would be a great stable, considering they're all, like, Hollywood-esque characters. I think that'd be pretty cool, but regardless of whether Miz will be involved with uh, Goldust or not, I thought what we saw here was great. Again, no match. It wasn't really, you know, excited to see the match, but I was looking forward to seeing the Goldust character. We got it. It looked very cool. Um, Again, the, the new old attire. R-Truth does nothing for me, but Goldust in this incarnation is awesome, and I hope it never ends. After that, we had Miz TV, the infamous Miz TV, with The Miz, Maurice, and guest stars Laval Ball, or Lavar Ball, excuse me, uh, Lamelo Ball, and Lonzo Ball, so I don't watch basketball whatsoever, okay? The only reason why these names sounded familiar to me in the slightest was because I've seen them tweeted about a million times on Twitter. I've seen people who I know follow basketball and shit like that talk about these guys constantly. But I could still not tell you for the life of me what they were known for prior to this show. And then I found out, um, I thought LeVar Ball was a basketball player. He's not. He's the father. I mean, you guys probably know better than I do. I'm just kind of explaining this really for myself. But LeVar Ball is the father. And Lonzo Ball and LaMelo Ball are his sons. Now, Lonzo Ball got drafted to the Lakers, which obviously emanate from Los Angeles, which is why they had him on this show, in the Staples Center, whatever. He just got drafted to the Lakers, I think the first draft pick, um, like a week or two ago. LaMelo Ball is like maybe 15, 16 years old. He's a really good high school basketball player. Okay. So WWE obviously brought them out for a mainstream to garner mainstream attention. I get it. They got exactly what they wanted. Maybe for all the wrong reasons, but they got exactly what they wanted. Uh, so, I guess be careful what you ask for, Vince, because you got a lot of mainstream publicity from this segment for one kid saying the N-word twice. Twice! How does that happen? So anyway, with this segment, long story short, it goes completely off the rails once LeVar Ball comes out there with LaMelo Ball, and then they introduce Lonzo. They did not take this seriously whatsoever. Lonzo, I know they were promoting their fucking big baller brand shit, whatever. But Lonzo Ball comes out there in friggin' slippers, in, in whatever, in like complete casual clothing. Like he could not give two shits, and I'm sure he didn't. I know they called him over the weekend to be on the show, and they were on the show. LeVar Ball is a complete goof, which I saw a lot of people laughing about it, like, oh, this is so funny. You know what? No, he made a mockery of, I don't know, not maybe of wrestling, but he took it completely as a complete joke. It made, look, it made Miz look like an idiot. Dean Ambrose, I have no idea why the hell he was out there. I don't know whether he was out there to cut this thing short or they cut the segment short because it was so bad. And because Dean Ambrose came out after all this shit ensued with the three kids, with the three LeVar, uh, with, with the three Ball family members, and then uh, Miz and Maurice. 
and LeVar Ball's about to fight The Miz, Dean Ambrose comes out, Miz's arch rival, wearing a big baller brand t-shirt. That's what the Dean Ambrose, that's what Dean Ambrose has come to. 2017, the lunatic fringe supporting the merchandise of basketball players. That's, that's, uh, that's what Dean Ambrose has been reduced to, apparently. But so he comes out and says, oh, great balls of fire. The LeVar, the, the Ball family, I keep on saying LeVar, but that's the first name of the father. Great balls of fire. The Ball family. Ha, ha, ha. What a connection. And he walks off. And that was the end of it. They cut it short. I'm sure they cut it short because they knew how big of a train wreck this was. But um, it's not like they, they brought out Ambrose after the kid had said the N-word. So he said, beat this N-word's ass is exactly what he said. I think he said it twice. But he had said that as Ambrose was coming out. He said it to his dad in respect to The Miz as he was talking to The Miz. So it's not like he had said and they brought out Ambrose like, oh shit, you know, you know, all hands on deck. We got to cut this thing short now. Bring out Ambrose so we can go to commercial. That wasn't what happened because he said it as Ambrose was coming out. So whatever Ambrose was supposed to say, he said what he was supposed to say. Maybe there was more to it than that. I had read via, again, the Wrestling Observer newsletter. They had mentioned in their uh, piece this week. They had reported that the family was supposed to be at ringside for the subsequent six-man tag team match between Miz, Slater, Rhino, Dallas, Axel, Ambrose, whatever. But because of what happened with the kid, um, they nixed it, and they were reportedly furious backstage. I mean, what do you expect? The kid's 15 years old. They brought this all together. They did This was a whole last-minute deal. I'm sure they had no idea what the hell they were doing. LeVar Ball is a complete go- the goof. The guy's a total idiot. He did not take this seriously at all. It made wrestling look like a complete joke. I mean, for all the gifts going around of LeVar Ball, like, running around the ring and doing the crazy-ass walk to the ring and looking like an idiot and all that other shit, people are like, oh, my God, that's so funny. You know what? Yeah, other people are, la- are laughing at this, too, but they're laughing at how dumb it is. Like, it's people are saying how bad it's funny, how bad it's so bad it's good, whatever. And I can almost get that. But, like, people that aren't wrestling fans, like, as a wrestling fan, I was embarrassed to watch that on Monday. I was embarrassed to watch that. And the people that aren't wrestling fans that see the gifts on Twitter and online of LeVar Ball walking down to the ring looking like an idiot, they're like, wow, wrestling really is a joke. It's a fucking joke. I was talking to someone at work yesterday about this. I'm like, oh, no, again, I'm embarrassed to be a wrestling fan. And uh, he had turned on Raw. He was flipping through the channels. And he had said he had came across... and As soon as he started this conversation, and we're pretty good friends, and he brought up how he had mentioned that he was flipping through the channels, and he's like, yeah, and I came across Raw, and I'm like, oh no, the Ball Family segment, Miss TV, and he's like, yeah, how'd you know? I'm like, trust me, I knew exactly where you were going with this before he even started. And he was like, wow, this is really fucking dumb. It's stupid. He's not a wrestling fan, but he understands like my passion for it. He gets the business and whatnot. There's very few people like that out there, but they're out there, and he's one of them. And even he agreed. It It's dumb. Even as a non-wrestling fan, it was dumb for him. Like, people laugh the first time, but it gets to a point where it's just embarrassing. For the WWE, again, they didn't go out there and tell the kid to say the N-word, but for them to go that far and uh, bringing these people in as a uh, desperate ploy to garner ratings, I know the tie-in there with the Staples Center and the Lakers and, and Los Angeles, whatever, but it was completely unnecessary. It was just bad. Like, this brought back bad memories of the absolutely atrocious, absolutely awful segments with the raw, with the old Raw guest hosts. You remember that gimmick that they cut short after a while because it was so pooped on? It was so universally hated by the fans. They had to get rid of it for a couple of years there from, like, 09 to 2010, 2011. We would get guests all the time every single week. But more often than not, they were atrocious because they didn't know the product. They would make a complete joke of it. Like, oh, look, I'm on wrestling. Like, shut the fuck up and get off my TV. You're a friggin' joke. We got that. And, I mean, it wasn't quite as bad. But we had some actor from Transformers on commentary for the uh, previous six-man tag team match with Balor, Hardy Boys, Samson, Sheamus, and Cesaro talking about some WWE Studios movie coming out. Like, dude, I don't care. He obviously was not a fan of wrestling because he had no idea what the hell was going on. He was obviously being fed lines. Took away from the match. Go away. Um, but this was 10 times worse. This was not only annoying, it was just flat out embarrassing. And WWE should be ashamed, ashamed to have put that on their television show on Monday. That's how bad it was. Again, less said about it, the better. I just went on a, I just went on a whole rant about it. I apologize. But that was just complete train wreck TV. 
That's how bad that was. And here's hoping we never see that, that family on TV again. That That's how bad that shit was. Anyway, we'll move on from there. I didn't plan on spending too much time talking about that one segment, but we did. Um, we have a little over 10 minutes left to go of the show here, so I don't want to go over time as we sometimes do. I would like to keep it to about an hour today, so I will go a bit quickly through the rest of Raw here. Big Cass and Enzo almost reunited. Uh, Enzo apologized for his actions being so annoying, being such a thorn in the side of Big Cass for so long. Big Cass uh, accepted his apology. They all shed a tear. I shed a tear. Maybe not really, but they hugged it out. And then Enzo making the mistake, the same mistake that Johnny Gargano made at TakeOver Chicago last month of bringing someone who he's on the rocks with, someone he does not have the best current relationship with, on the stage with him. And similar to what we saw take over Chicago, Enzo got drilled by Big Cass. Maybe not the best choice of words there, but he got knocked the hell out by his former best friend, Big Cass. Now, good promos, good delivery. It made Enzo look like an idiot, but they bought it for some people. Some people bought it, but it is what it is. But again, well acted, good promos from both guys. I will say that I wasn't initially sold in the whole angle, but I thought it was well done by and large. Still don't care too much about a feud between the two. I still think it was way too early to break them up, but that's just me. From there, Seth Rollins beating Kurt, uh, I must say Curtis Axel, Kurt Hawkins. We got too many Kurts in the show. Kurt Hawkins, Kurt Angle, Curtis Axel, all this fucking, too many Kurts, too many Kurts. So yeah, we had Seth Rollins and Kurt Hawkins. Rollins wins with ease within mere minutes. Uh, Bray Wyatt interrupts with the promo. Who the hell cares? Samoa Joe attacking Brock Lesnar as he was making his way down to the ring, choking him out the Kohina Clutch. Now, I thought Brock would break it up and, like, smash him into the wall, which he did, but it didn't break the choke. Joe still had it on, and he choked him out. He maybe not choked him out, but he had it on long enough to make Lesnar's face legitimately purple, which I thought was great. Awesome touch. Another awesome hit-a-home-run worth of a segment between these two. The feud has been killing it so far since it first started back at Extreme Rules. Uh, these two have really brought the best out of each other in this feud. By far the best Lesnar feud I've seen in quite some time. Um, it's been really well done. Both guys have come across great. Again, Joe is not winning at Great Balls of Fire, but at least he's being built up to look like a complete, ruthless uh, beast, monster, uh, heading into that bout. Neville beating Lince Dorado. And then the main event, as I mentioned earlier at the start of the show, a Raw Women's Gauntlet match to determine the new number one contender to the Raw Women's Championship against Alexa Bliss at the Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view. Very good match. They got a ton of time. Nia Jax dominating all of her opponents. Bailey was out first with Nia. Nia beat her with ease. Then Mickey James. Then Dana Brooke. Then Emma. So four in a row, Nia Jax beat. And then Sasha Banks comes out. Uh, they have a pretty competitive contest. And Banks wins by the skin of her teeth to clinch the championship match against Alexa for the upcoming pay-per-view. Again, really well done here. I did not expect it to go on last. Um, I guess the the Joe and Lesnar thing would have been too quick. Or, I mean, I guess you could have gone off with it. But um, I'm glad I'm glad they went with the women here. Not only to have a historic week of the women main eventing every show, but it was a really good match. It was very well laid out, um, especially coming off of last week where the women got like literally five minutes of TV time in total, which was friggin' ridiculous. This is a great way of making up for that. And women's wrestling, no matter what people say, is in a way better place now than it was five years ago. Again, not saying much. They were in a very, 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 very bad place. In a place at all. They weren't even on the friggin' show most weeks uh, five years ago. But they've come a long way since then. So overall, pretty decent Raw. The Miz TV shit was fucking terrible. Like I said, it was a complete embarrassment. But beyond that, overall, the good outweighed the bad. I gave it a thumbs up. I thought it was a pretty good show. SmackDown, to wrap it up here, maybe some quick NXT thoughts too, but for SmackDown on Tuesday, I thought was the show of the week. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Daniel Bryan comes out first to start out the show. The SmackDown Live GM is back, and he says that James Ellsworth has been banned not only from ringside in the main event, but the entire arena. So he gets escorted out of there. Daniel Bryan, by the way, is amazing. Daniel Bryan and Talking Smack is what I live for on a day-to-day basis. That's my favorite part of Tuesdays. 205 Lives, whatever. Smackdowns are usually really good. Uh, but Talking Smack trumps it all. Even better than Raw and all the other shit. Obviously better than Raw. Anything's better than Raw. But Talking Smack is amazing. I said it last week or last night anyway. Yesterday, whatever. At the start of my hashtag AskGSM video. The greatest episode of uh, Talking Smack ever. Ever. It was amazing. You had Daniel Bryan and Renee Young, per usual. But 
This is Brian's second week back in the show. The show is not the same without Brian. Brian could not give two shits about what he says and whatever. And he just goes off. He just doesn't care. And he's just so much fun to watch. But Renee Young and Daniel Bryan are great. They had on Kevin Owens first. Kevin Owens is always awesome in that kind of environment. The Usos were great. Carmella was really good. Again, best episode ever. Check it out when you can. Going back to SmackDown, we had the Usos. Speaking of whom, uh, the Usos beating the Hype Bros. If the Hype Bros won, they would have earned themselves another shot at the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Now, I originally petitioned for them to get a title shot off the back, as they did you know, technically earn one six months ago, but I understand where Daniel Bryan is coming from. The division, the division, the landscape of the division has changed quite a bit in the past six months, so it makes sense for them to re-earn their shot of the straps. They couldn't do it. They lost in pretty decisive fashion. In fact, they came back from commercial, and one of the Usos hit their splash finisher, and it was over, so I thought that was pretty funny. And I didn't have the, uh, I didn't watch it live, so I couldn't see, you know, how, like now they have the in-screen experience, whatever the hell it is where you could still watch SmackDown in the corner of your screen. I didn't have that, so they came back from commercial and it was over. I guess that's why they did it, though. And it's still going to be Usos and New Day, likely at the Battleground pay-per-view for the tag titles. Next week, they have a uh, wrap-off, Usos and New Day. I thought it was good. And that's something to be excited about, too. The heel turn from uh, from either Zack Ryder or Mojo Rawley's coming. It's a coming. I'm not sure who it's going to be. I'd rather be it, honestly, Mojo Rawley, but we've seen Ryder as a heel before. He can work as a heel. Um, so I'd be fine with him going heel. It probably makes more sense for him to go heel. He was a lot more desperate to get those tag titles back than Mojo Raleigh, who in Ryder's absence became uh, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal winner. Now his momentum's kind of installed on SmackDown. So uh, we'll see where it goes, but I assume one will turn at some point in the very near future. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, a very short-lived match, to say the least, between Naomi and Lana. Lana attacked her before the match, hit her finisher, Naomi kicks out. Naomi hits her with her finisher. I think she hit her with her finisher. Yeah, she pinned her. And um, that was it. The match was over in literally a minute. I laughed my ass off. Lana still sucks. I get it. But is the experiment already over? Like, it's only been three weeks. And Lana's already been beaten twice. Decisively, both times. So, despite what you might think, she is not the new Eva Marie. Because they would not be Eva Marie this decisively within two weeks. <laughs> She's not Eva Marie by a long stretch. She's hotter anyway. Not, not. I think between the two, it's, it's close. I would say Eva Marie is the more attractive of the two. Not like it matters. It's all subjective. It's all subjective. But anyway, uh, Lana's time in the spotlight might be over. She lost here in a minute. How can you rebound from that? How can you come back from a minute-long loss? Like, from a minute loss. That doesn't make any sense. So, Naomi now focuses on the new Miss Money in the Bank, which I'll address momentarily. Randy Orton called out Ginger Mahal wants another shot at the WWE Championship. No shit, he does. I mean, he attacked Jinder last week. I'm not a big fan. In fact, I'm a very much against another Orton-Jinder match at the Battleground pay-per-view. But in a way, bringing back Punjabi Prison, which you know they really wanted to do when they put the belt on Jinder uh, back in May, Backlash, that's what they're doing. It's going to be a Punjabi Prison match between Orton and Jinder Mahal at the Battleground pay-per-view for the WWE Championship. First one in 10 years, and the first two sucked. To say the least. I mean, then again, it was Kali, but Mahal's not that... He's not that much better, trust me. Anyone is a Kurt Angle in the ring compared to the great Kali. But Jinder is not all that exciting in his own right. And him and Orton just don't have that... Just don't have very good chemistry as opponents. They had a better-than-expected match in Money in the Bank, but they still both very much, at this point, bored me to tears. So we'll see how that goes. But um, at Battleground, it will be Orton and Mahal in a Punjabi prison match for the WWE Championship. Baron Corbin beating Sami Zayn in a very good match and a rematch from Backlash. Baron Corbin now presumably moves on to face Shinsuke Nakamura at Battleground. Sami Zayn goes on to face, I assume, Mike Kanellis, who he interrupted while making his entrance, which I thought was interesting. So That's a good first feud for Mike, too. Um, Mike should obviously be winning his first few matches in WWE. We have yet to see him wrestle in the company. He's only made two appearances at Money in the Bank alongside Maria and on SmackDown this week. Um, but he can get a good, easy win over Sammy, so I think it's a good first feud for him at Battleground. And then the main event, the second-ever Women's Money in the Bank ladder rematch, uh, a rematch from last Sunday. Carmella, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Natalia, and Tamina. Once again, Carmella emerging victorious. I don't know if she's a two-time Miss Money in the Bank or if she ever really lost it to begin with. If it was, If she was stripped of it, I'm not really sure what the deal is there, but she won twice. She won the match twice. 
James Ellsworth attempted to interfere despite being banned from the arena. And as Daniel Bryan said on Talking Smack, maybe we just have to get better security or better alerters. Better alerters. Daniel Bryan, 2017 people. But yeah, so uh, James Ellsworth got involved regardless. Becky Lynch pushed him off the ladder. He went flying. No more little Ellsworths. Uh, Ellsworths? Ellsworths, I guess. Uh, thank God. We don't need more. We don't need any more James Ellsworths. Trust me. But uh, yeah, so out goes James Ellsworth, or Big Hog, as uh, Daniel Bryan likes to call him. Carmella capitalizes on Becky Lynch being distracted, hits her in the knee, the injured knee that she had injured early on in the match. The steel chair, Carmella capitalizes and becomes a, like I said, a two-time Miss Money in the Bank. So, the right choice, and then Carmella was the right person to win this thing. Uh, she's got great heat now, maybe not great, but she's improving a lot already in the role. She's risen to the occasion. She was already a great talker. We saw that in the feud of Nikki Bella. It was in the ring and still is where she needs work, um, but she just was not getting heat. She needed heat, and I think after the fuck finish they did on Sunday show at the Money to Make pay-per-view last Sunday, or two weeks ago at this point, whatever. Between that and what we saw on Tuesday this week, she's very much the new top heel in the division, as she should be. I think Carmella has a lot to offer. She's not like no, she, she's no Charlotte or Becky in the ring. But as a character, she's coming a long way. And even more over than that, we might get a new darker Becky Lynch going forward, which is great. I mean, it'd be awesome. So overall, smacked on two thumbs up. Very much my favorite show of the week this week. NXT was also very good. 205 Live was all right. Don't really want to talk about that. We don't have time. Very quickly, though. NXT Velveteen Dream beating Ho-Ho Loon. Whatever. Hideo Tommy beating Oni Larkin in a rematch from a couple of weeks ago. Very fun match while it lasted. And it was a pretty short show. Uh, main event seeing the NXT Women's Championship defended in a last woman standing match ever. The first ever women's, last women's standing match in WWE. Not even NXT, but including WWE. I'm pretty sure we've never seen one in the entire company. Someone asked me about it on Twitter. I'm pretty sure. Give credit to uh, Rusty Rages on Twitter. I don't think we've ever seen one. He asked me about it today. I, I, If we have had one, I can't recall. I know they did one in TNA about four or five years ago. Between I think it was about four years ago at this point. Between Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell, the former Tiffany, at their Slammiversary show, which was awesome, by the way. It was a great friggin' match. Um, but in WWE, I don't think we've ever had one. I know Charlotte and Sasha have had... Iron Woman matches, Hell in the Cell, Falls Count Anywhere, and we've this year we've had tables matches, we've had no disqualification, steel cage, ladder, but now we have finally had a last woman standing match, and they killed it. Um, Asuka and Nikki Cross have awesome chemistry together, they worked really, 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 really well together, and producing a strong main event match. A lot of cool spots, they utilized steel chairs, tables, the commentary table, trash cans, all this other stuff. It was a great match. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, going into next week's 400th episode, one day removed from the 4th of July, where uh, it will be for the NXT Championship, Bobby Roode defending against Roderick Strong, which would be great. And then two weeks from now, on the July 12th episode, as I mentioned earlier, it will be the Authors of Pain defending their NXT Tag Team titles against Heavy Machinery. So a lot to look forward to in NXT in the coming weeks. And also, Mar Ronaldo back on WWE commentary, this time for NXT. He added a lot to this episode. He brings a lot of great knowledge and energy. Um, just a new, fresh voice in the show. I like Tom Phillips a lot, but he was already doing SmackDown too. So we did not need him on both shows. But I think he's a good fit on SmackDown, and Mar Ronaldo is a much better fit on NXT. He's only doing a couple dates a year, very few dates a month. He's still calling McGregor and. Um, in Mayweather, in August, so Mauro Ronaldo right now is living life, the guy's doing great, so uh, looking forward to seeing him call that fight, and continue to call the NXT action in the months and years to come, I think he signed a two-year contract, so it's great to see Mauro Ronaldo back in WWE, and that does it guys, like I said, we're going to wrap it up here for WrestleRant Radio for July, or rather June, almost July, we're literally two days out, the halfway mark of 2017 is tomorrow, where has the time gone, but... Today is, in fact, June 29th, 2017. I thank you for another great show, another great episode, stacked episode of WrestleRant Radio here today. For you guys, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, a full 60 minutes, to listen to me talk and rave and rant about wrestling. Uh, very much appreciate it, as I said. We'll be back next week, as I said earlier, hopefully without the wrestle guy Sal, um, the winner of this year's 2017 Royal Rumble game, as presented by yours truly. He's been on the show before. We had a great conversation then. He'll be back on uh, Thursday, hopefully next week, if we can work out a schedule, we can work out a time to talk all things 
Great Balls of Fire. Heading into that show next Sunday. But the next time I talk to you will be after 4th of July. So in the meantime and in between time, guys, enjoy your holiday on Tuesday if you're in the U.S. If not, have a great Tuesday. <laughs> enjoy SmackDown. I'll be able to watch the show on uh, on Tuesday. I am working during the day in the morning, but I will be around at night to watch the show. So I'm looking forward to that and the return of uh, John Cena's back. And uh, what's going on next Tuesday, too, on SmackDown? I think we got Cena coming back. I know there's something else going on, too. Oh, man, I can't remember what it is. I know we have, like, an Independence Day Battle Royal. Oh, to determine the new number one contender of the U.S. Championship. And also the uh, wrap-off, like I mentioned earlier, between Usos and New Day. So that should be worth watching for on the most patriotic day of the year in uh, the United States. So again, guys, that being said, enjoy the rest of your week, weekend. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Have an awesome one, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do a step, do a step, do a